Hello, and welcome to Triple Bladed Sword, the podcast that looks at the science fiction, fantasy, and horror we read, watch, and play. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Pershant. I teach English literature and film studies at McEwen University, and this podcast is where I share my research and ramblings about books, films, and games set in impossible and improbable worlds. And I've been doing a series called Office Hours, which is devoted to the sort of meandering, reflective, and fun conversations that I have with students who drop by my office to say hello. But today, I'm going to do something just a little bit different, but it doesn't really fit in as a lecture, uh, so I'm keeping it in the Office Hours pile. Um, What I want to share with you is a commencement speech that I gave to our English grads the day of their virtual commencement. Um, McEwen was only able to do a virtual convocation both last year and this year, and uh, our English department um, put together our own virtual get-together just to honor our students and let them know how proud we are of them. And I was chosen to give the commencement speech this year. And I want to share it with you um, because I believe in what I say, but also because I know that a number of you who listen to this podcast are former students of mine. And I wanted to share it with you because uh, this isn't just a message, although, you know, I wrote it specifically for our English grads this year. But this is a this is a message for English grads uh, that I've taught over all of the years that I've been teaching. And really, it's a it's a message for English grads everywhere. What can you do with an English degree? If you're like most of the students who come through an English department, you've heard some version of that question enough times to generate your tuition via the, you know, if I had a dollar for every time response, right? What can you do with an English degree? Well, I've heard the what can you do with that complaint from students across the arts and the sciences. So it's not just English students who get asked that question, but I still think it's a question worth considering, especially at the end of your time at our university. What can you do with an English degree? Sadly, what most people mean when they ask that question is, what job are you going to get with that? It's a bottom line question for a bottom line world. The answer, by the way, is the same jobs that anyone with a liberal arts degree can get. But what is it that makes English special? What can you do with the skills that you're given in English in particular? A colleague in sociology told me that she doesn't expect her students will become sociologists, but she hopes they will learn to think sociologically. I like that idea. It's, you know, for psychology, we don't expect psych students to become psychologists necessarily, but to think psychologically, to see the world through that lens. How many people could really get hired as professional philosophers? But the philosophy department, I am sure, hopes that people will learn to think philosophically. But how does that work for English students? Like what we don't expect you to become English, but we hope you'll think Englishy? What lens does English give you? There's a passage at the end of William Carlos Williams's poem, Asphodel, that I find illuminating in this regard. My heart rouses, says Williams, my heart rouses thinking to bring you news of something that concerns you and concerns many men. Look at what passes for the new. You will not find it there, but in despised poems. It is difficult to get the news from poems, yet men die miserably every day 
for lack of what is found there. One of the lenses you see through now is poetry, the despised poems Williams speaks of, which contain, as he puts it, news of something that concerns you and concerns many men and women and people. What is it that's contained within despised poems? If that is what is needed, what is there? Whatever it is, people die miserably every day for lack of what is found there. But what is found there? What is it that the miserable lack in the new that, that, that is found in poems? What, what do the miserable lack in the new that is found in poems? When I think of the new, I always think of sort of the, the immediacy of the everyday, the thing that the internet churns out on Twitter or on various forms of social media. My favorite poem of all time, written by Emily Dickinson, might shed some light on the question of what lies within despised poems. Tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Success in circuit lies. Too bright for our infirm delight, the truth's superb surprise. As lightning to the children eased with explanation kind, the truth must dazzle gradually, or every man be blind. That's what's in poems. The truth, not facts. That's the purview of other students, to think factually. English students think, what, fictionally? Poetically? I think so. Now, thinking fictionally and thinking poetically is a messy place. It's open to interpretation, but like the fiction of Jorge Luis Borges, those manifold polyphonic interpretations resist the unilateral manifestos of fascism and the simplistic narratives of conspiracy theory. English students write essays where other students get Scantron exams. It doesn't make you better, but it does make you different. It means that the epistemology of English doesn't deal with neat and tidy answers, which is good, because as we've learned with utter clarity these past few years, the world isn't asking neat and tidy questions. So, like Beowulf before the warden of Hrothgar's holdings, unlock your word hordes. That's something that's particular to English, and I love that kenning, the word horde. We're not just interested in English in your argument, but the eloquence thereof. Not the ornate pretension of a walking thesaurus, but rather in the words of Samuel Taylor Coleridge when defining poetry, the best words in the best order. That's what I love about Dickinson's poem. It's not just that its content advises us to ease our explanations of truth gradually and with kindness, but that the very word hoard Dickinson employs, the one that she unlocks, tells its own slant truth. But the order of the hoard disturbs the simplicity of its meaning. So, sure enough, Emily Dickinson says, tell all the truth, but tell it slant, right? But when she says that success in circuit lies in addition, in addition to the wonderful alliteration and assonance that she employs throughout, which is part of a great word hoard. Um, when she says success in circuit lies, I wonder, is that not that only will success be found in a circuitous path to the truth, but that very likely circuitous lies, half-truths, are also the path to that success. Now, I'm not talking about fake news when I speak about this, but rather the beautiful lie. That's the other gift of an English degree. Beautiful lies. Science fiction and fantasy writer Ursula K. Le Guin said it is the job of every writer to lie, that writers are liars. 
And in English, we study those lies, those fictions. I like to appropriate William Carlos's Williams, uh, William Carlos Williams's concept of despised poems and think he was also talking about despised fiction. For stories like poetry, like all art, tell the truth as well, but they tell its slant. Not facts. The truth. Truth is slippery. Ephemeral. Fantasy satirist Terry Pratchett concluded one of his novels with a conversation between death and his granddaughter about the difference between the sun rising and the world being illuminated by, as death puts it, a mere ball of flaming gas. Death's granddaughter interprets this to mean that humans need fantasies to make life bearable. For, as we've learned today, men die miserably every day for lack of what is found there in poems, in fantasies, in beautiful lies. Here is Death's reply. No, humans need fantasy to be human, to be the place where the falling angel meets the rising ape. Tooth fairies? Santa Claus, little... Yes, as practice, you have to start out learning to believe the little lies. So we can believe the big ones? Yes, justice, mercy, duty, that sort of thing. They're not the same at all. You think so? Then take the universe and grind it down to the finest powder and sieve it through the finest sieve, and then show me one atom of justice, one molecule of mercy. And yet, death waved a hand, and yet you act as if there is some ideal order in the world, as if there is some, some rightness in the universe by which it may be judged. Yes, but people have got to believe that, or what's the point? My point, exactly. Scientists cannot study justice or mercy or love using the empirical method. Philosophy deals with these things, but in a different way than English. We do not teach you to think scientifically, nor philosophically, nor sociologically. We teach you to think poetically, rhetorically, narratively. These are the gifts you carry into the world, and they are what you can do with an English degree. You can unlock your word hoard, tell all the truth slant, and fill the lack that causes men to die miserably every day with beautiful lies of justice, mercy, faith, hope, and love. Best of luck to you all as you carry these gifts, these gifts you have seeded, watered, and grown in your time here as you carry them beyond our walls and into the world beyond.